Welcome to Gateway Church. We are so glad you could join us this week. Now let's listen in as our pastor is ready to present the sermon. Today's Friend Day. We've encouraged everyone to invite friends, and I see several faces I don't know. So if you are a guest today, we are really, really glad you're here. But I'm glad everybody's here, not just because I like hanging out with you, because I do like hanging out with you, but because we are starting a brand new teaching series this morning called Vertigo. It's a series called Vertigo. Now, let me ask a question, and you know, I, I love to ask questions. I ask lots of questions. How many of you, and, and this, maybe it applies to you, or maybe it's one of those asking for a friend situations. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where it, so maybe it's not you. It's somebody you know. But how many of you, or somebody you know, has uh, ever set a goal, you had something you wanted to achieve? I don't care if it was career-related, or if it was you know, financially related, or maybe it was a hobby, or maybe whatever. You had something you wanted to achieve. You set out to do it, and you did the work you needed to do. You worked really hard. You made the sacrifices. You put in the hard work. You got where you were going, only to get there and go, this is it, right? Have anybody ever done that before? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I think most of us have been through that. Maybe you, you poured yourself into your career because you, you wanted to be the best at your career and you worked your way up whatever ladder it was at work. And once you got to whatever top of that ladder was, you realized, you know, if I left tomorrow, nobody would care. They, they would just fill the gap and move right on without me. Or maybe you worked really, really hard to, to put all the money away because you want the money. You want, you want the satisfaction that comes from having that bank account with, with all the numbers in it. I wouldn't know what that's like, but, but let's say you did. Um, and, and once you put all the money in the bank account, you're like, hmm, well, now I'm bored. Now what? Right? Or, or you worked really hard to have all the toys and you realize, and this is maybe more true for guys than ladies, maybe not, but I think it is, toys as you get older, the toys change and the... And the the price tag goes up, but they're still toys, right? So whether it's motorcycles or boats or cars or guitars or golf clubs or guns or whatever your favorite batch of toys is, you worked really hard to have all the toys and you've got a whole bunch of the toys and you're like, now, I mean, I've got them. So now what? I don't have, I, I can't afford them and I don't know what to do with all of them, right? It, it's kind of like you worked really, really hard to get to the top of the ladder only to discover the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. Have you ever, have you, you know what I'm talking about? And maybe that's you, maybe it's just somebody you know. But our culture tells us there are things we're supposed to pursue. The world we live in tells us there are things that if we'll do these things, we'll be happy or we'll be satisfied or, or whatever. And I think most of us are chasing really hard down that road after the things our culture tells us to chase after to one degree or another. And I'm not just talking about the corporate big wigs or, or the rock and roll stars that you watch the documentary 10 years after their band disappears and they had it all, but they lost their family in the process. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I mean, that's true too, but I'm talking about in our own day-to-day lives. We're working really hard to get wherever it is we're supposed to go. Half of us don't even know what's at the finish line, but we're working really hard to get there. But in the back of our mind, there's this little thing blinking that goes, this ain't right. Something is off. There's got to be more to life than this life. Most of us, at some level, can relate to that. But what if we're doing it wrong? What if we are, are chasing after the wrong things? What if the, the way our culture told us to pursue, define, and chase after happiness isn't right. What if there was a different way to live? What if there was actually a better way to live? Now, not an easier way to live, okay? Do not, any, any pastor who tells you, uh, you do the things that Jesus tells you to do and life gets easier, 
they're either lying or they're just very, very ignorant. Um, because, because it doesn't make life easier, for the record, okay? But it does do this. It makes life better. And it makes you better at life, okay? And you've heard me say that probably a hundred times in the past year. But in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at, at the fact that maybe we're looking through the wrong lens. Maybe we're looking through life upside down and backwards. And what we need to do is shake things up, pick a different lens, look through life at a different perspective than what we've been doing. And if we will begin to do that, if we will look at life, what, what I would call the upside down way of God, if we will begin to live life that upside down way of God, this vertigo turned around thing, we will discover in the process that life gets better and we get better at life. That's what this whole series is about. For the next several weeks, that's what we're talking about. Looking at life through a different lens, doing things upside down and backwards from what the world around us tells us we're supposed to do. And in the process, hopefully we will discover that life gets better and we get better at life. Okay? So that's where we're going to go the next several weeks. That's the journey we're going to be on. Today as we get started, grab your Bibles. You're going to need them. Grab your Bibles and open them up to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 is where we're going to be, and if you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We have house Bibles. If you look under the seat in front of you, there are Bibles available. Feel free to grab the house Bible and use it. Using the house Bible, you want to be on page 659, page 659. Um, also, if you don't have a good, easy-to-read Bible at home, take the house Bible when you go. It's a gift. No questions asked. You want a Bible? Take the Bible. We want everyone who wants them to have one. Um, if you want, you can, all of the text will be up here on the screen. It's easy to track there. If you picked up a, a worship folder on your way in, there's a, a note-taking guide. They're all in there. Or if you're into technology, we said earlier, we've got the app. You can open up the Gateway Church app, click on the little tab that says Our Church, and in the top corner after that you do that, the Vertigo logo is there and says Today's Notes, and you tap on that, and you can actually track along right there, fill in the blanks, everything, and then it emails it to you when you're done. So it's, it's really cool. Also, just a I'm, I'm, little commercial, and then we're going to move on. Uh, in case you didn't know this yet, effective this week, our app, you can now watch the services live. So if you can't be here for some reason, you're at the hospital, or you're on vacation, or you're whatever, you can open up our app, and you can watch the service live. So you can catch us live through the app moving forward. So anyway, uh, Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Um, and, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me explain something to you, uh, or if, you've not, if you're not used to the whole church thing. Most Bibles have headings in the different sections. So the section we're looking at today says the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and the Sermon on the Mount is a collection of teachings of Jesus, whether he taught them all at one time or whether Matthew, who wrote this down, collected the teachings of Jesus and put them into one section together. This is a really, really cool and important piece of the Bible, and here's why. Um, a lot of people who grew up going to church, even a lot of people who didn't grow up going to church but were around church people, got this idea that there's a list of rules, right? If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. The really good people also do this, and you can't do that. You can't do this thing. You know, you know, we get the do's and don'ts of being a Jesus follower. And the problem with most of those lists is most of them are made up of things that we made up, right? Most of them are, are, are and some of them are really good ideas, but they're really just um, our versions of what it should, you should do if you're following Jesus. And if you really want to know what Jesus taught, if you really want to know what Jesus believed, if you really want to know what the heart of the Christian message is supposed to be, the Sermon on the Mount is, is man, that's your encyclopedia right there. There's about three or four chapters right here where, where you just get all of the teachings of Jesus. If you have one of those red letter Bibles, these chapters are almost entirely in red. This is what Jesus said. And if you want to know the heart of the message of Jesus, here it is. And by the way, 
if you look through it, 100% of it is how do I deal with you and how do you deal with me? 100% of it is how do we get along with each other? And if we're following Jesus, it is going to have an impact on our relationships, okay? That's what this whole section is about. Now, as we jump in this morning, as we, as we hit this, here's what you need to know. Jesus hits us with a sucker punch right out of the gate, and he was good at that. Jesus loved to do that to, to people. He would get his audience drawn in, and then he would drop this huge truth bomb on them and, and rattle them a little bit, and he starts this whole thing with a huge truth bomb. With, with a, really, it's a gut punch if you pay attention to what's going on there. So let me ask another question as we move forward. How many of you know someone, and again, maybe a friend, how many of you know someone who you could describe, or they would describe themselves as a self-made person? Anybody know someone like that? Like everything they have, they earned it. Their skill and talent, they developed it, and nobody handed it to them. They worked really hard to get where they are. They are very independent uh, they're, they're very self-sufficient. Maybe you hear phrases like this come out of their mouth frequently, I've got this, right? You know anybody who says that a lot? Hey, I don't need any help. I understand this. It's all, right? We all know people like that. Maybe we are people like that. And either way, for whatever reason, we kind of like people like that to a degree. We want to be people like that. In our culture, we're told that's the way to be. And it makes sense because it's built into the DNA of our nation, right? If you pay attention to the history of America, we were, we were founded by a document called the Declaration of Independence. Good. My history teaching days have paid off. A doctor, or doctor, or I mean, document called the Declaration of Independence. We fought the war of independence. Independence, self-sufficiency are hardwired into Americans. It's just who we are, right? And, and with that, we, we send this message, whether we mean to or not, we send this message that if you want something and you can't get it, you're either not trying hard enough, you don't want it bad enough, or you're just weak, right? That's kind of the message, whether we mean to send that message out or not, that's the message that we transmit via our culture. If you want it, go and get it. And if you can't get it, you don't want it bad enough, or you're just not trying that's kind of the way we, we live our world. Do it on your own. We, we look down on people who need to ask for help. But let's go back to where we started. What if that's not how we're supposed to live life? What if that's not the way we're really wired to live? What if we could find happiness? What if we could find joy? What if we could find a, a deeper sense of satisfaction? And if we could bring joy, satisfaction, and happiness to other people by doing life differently. And that's where Jesus hits us, okay? So at the beginning of this, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus opens this, this huge teaching up with this passage it's on the screen, with this verse. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Excuse me, what? What in the world does that have to do with anything, first of all? I mean, right, what does that have to do with, with uh, being independent? What does that have to do with, with living life? That, what is he even saying when he says that, right? Because that, that's kind of an odd statement, it, it, and it doesn't really feel like a gut punch until you start to peel back some of the layers. So what's going on here? And we have to start off by this. We have to understand language and context and everything else. Now, I said your Bible probably has headings, and this heading is called uh, the Sermon on the Mount. But underneath that's probably just a verse or two in another heading called the Beatitudes. How many of you have ever heard of the Beatitudes? 
How many of you have any clue what that word even means? <laughs> like two hands are up, kind of. It's a word that, I mean, we don't walk around using that word, and that's because it's a Latin word. Okay, it's a, it's a word from Latin, and it's a Latin translation of a Greek word, which is a translation of a Hebrew word, so you have all these layers that go back. But at the end of the day, the word beatitude just means blessing. So this would be the blessings. There's a series of blessings here, and that makes sense because when you look at it, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will, right? And blessed are the, for they will. And there's eight times Jesus says, blessed are the because. Blessed are, so there's eight blessings, and they're blessed for a reason, okay? And that's all that word means. The beatitude simply means blessings. But we got to get a little bit deeper into it than just that, because what does it mean to say blessed, right? Because I don't walk around going, Nick, blessed be you, right? Because you would look at me and go, what? Blessed are thou, right? I don't speak King James English, sorry, um, we don't use that word a lot. So what does that word even mean? And again, with layers and layers of language, I'm not going to get into all the linguistic gymnastics. Here's the short version. Jesus was a Jewish man, and he thought like a Jewish man. And so he's going to have a Jewish idea of this word. And the Jewish idea of this word, blessed, is happy. But it's not just happy like, I'm happy I have ice cream, because I assure you, if I have ice cream, I'm happy. It's not just happy because I got a puppy or happy because I didn't get a cat, okay? Those are, are I mean, I'm just telling you uh, how that works. <laughs> I, I just got two ice-cold stairs, one on this side of the room and one on this side of the room because there are a couple of cat people in here. Um, but it's not just a simple happiness. Literally, it means a deep satisfaction because you're on the right path. So when Jesus says blessed, he means deeply satisfied, at peace, happy, if you will, is this person because they're on the right road. Being on that road is what brings you this sense of joy and happiness. Um, I grew up in western Oklahoma. Enid, Oklahoma is my hometown. Um, my grandparents on both sides of the family were in another town in, in Oklahoma called Bartlesville, Oklahoma. We have great names in Oklahoma, Enid and Bartlesville. Towns were about 140 miles apart, and we loved going to Grandma's house. Uh, we loved going to Grandma and Grandpa's house because when you went to the, the grandparents' house, there were certain things involved. Usually Christmas gifts were involved. Usually food was involved, and all your cousins were going to be there. So it was a time we looked forward to. And so frequently, Dad would pile us all into the station wagon. Back then, he had a station wagon, had the rear-facing seat. Anybody remember those? Did you ever sit on one of those? Yeah, great way to get car sick. Um, so we would pile up in the station wagon, and we'd take off. Now, here's the thing about Oklahoma. For most of Oklahoma, the roads are very straight, and the land is very flat. In fact, the only hill is the curve of the earth. I mean, Oklahoma is kind of Kansas-like until you get to the eastern third of the state. It's in western Oklahoma. Bartlesville is in eastern Oklahoma. So it's straight and level and really boring. Until we hit a little town called Pawhuska, Oklahoma. Again, cool town names. At Pawhuska, Oklahoma, you entered an area called the Osage Hills. And from Pawhuska, Oklahoma to Bartlesville, Oklahoma, there's 20 miles of what my brothers and sister and I called the roller coaster road, because it did this number for 20 miles, a little two-lane road through the hills, and it went up and down and, and round and round and round. They've leveled it out a lot lately. It's not nearly as much fun to drive as it used to be. Um, but that was the road. And we got so excited when we hit the roller coaster road. Not because of the roller coaster road, because that pretty much guaranteed car sickness. Uh, we loved the roller coaster road because that meant... Grandma's house is 20 minutes away, and there's food, cousins, and presents. And 
as soon as we hit that roller coaster road, there was this sense of excitement. There was this sense of anticipation. It's like, oh, yeah, we're getting there. We love it. We knew we were getting close. And the last hill you top before you come into Bartlesville, Oklahoma, if you top it at night, you can see down into the valley where Bartlesville is, and it's all lit up. And we called it the high hill. Probably really not that high, but, you know, when you're 11, it felt high. Um, and that was, I mean, you knew when you hit the high hill and you could see Bartlesville down below, you were like, yes, here comes the food. Here come the Christmas gifts. And I get to pick on my, or play with my cousins. I mean, that's, that's just kind of what you lived for. And that feeling is what Jesus is saying. When he says blessed, what Jesus is saying, a sense of peace, a sense of excitement, a sense of joy because you're on the right road and you know you're on the right road. And therefore, there's a sense of satisfaction in your life. And so, Jesus says, blessed, happy, because they're on the right path, are the poor in spirit. What does that even mean? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? And again, we could get into a whole bunch of of linguistic gymnastics. I won't. Uh, I'll just give you the short version again. Remember, Jesus is a Jewish man. He has a Jewish mindset. And in the Jewish mindset, the word that is translated poor doesn't mean lacking something. It means lacking everything. It doesn't mean you need a little something. It means you have absolutely nothing. It isn't, I hope I can pay the rent. It's, I live in a van down by the river, okay? That's, that's, the, that's what the word means, abject poverty. And Jesus says, happy, blessed, on the right road are those who are abjectly poor. They have abject poverty in their spirit, in their person. What is he getting at here? By the way, Jesus isn't saying that we are to become that way. If you get into the the language, what he's saying is, blessed are those who recognize what already is. This isn't become like this. This is acknowledge what already exists. You know what I, does that make sense? Right? It's one thing to look at the checkbook and go, hmm, we have to get rid of all the money. And another thing to look at the checkbook and go, where'd all the money go? Right? Jesus is recognize where did all the money go? but spiritually, in our heart, in our spirit. If you want to sum it up, you can put it this way. If you're taking notes, write this down. Poor in spirit simply means humility. Poor in spirit simply means humility. Jesus says, happy, on the right road are those of you who are humble, who, who recognize your humility. Now, humility is not this. Humility is not, oh, I'm terrible. I can't do anything right. Nobody likes me. That's not humility, okay? That's pity, self-pity. Humility is simply, and if you've taken notes, write this down. Humility is simply being real about who and what I am. Humility is nothing more than being real about who and what I am. Humility is acknowledging that I don't have it all figured out. Humility is saying, okay, you know, I do okay with the parenting thing, but I'm terrible at the marriage thing. Or I'm okay with the money thing, but I'm terrible at, at... at this relationship thing, right? It's acknowledging, okay, I'm okay here. I'm not okay here. And at the end of the day, all of us need to improve wherever, right? But humility is just simply being honest and real about who and what I am. Being willing to admit that I don't even know what I don't know, right? And that's a hard place to be. We struggle with that. In fact, here's a really, really powerful truth about humility. If you want to write this one down, write it down. Humility is incredibly difficult to develop but remarkably freeing when we do. Humility is incredibly difficult to develop, 
but remarkably freeing when we do. It's incredibly difficult to develop because to, to develop humility means I need to put into my life some habits and some practices that help me acknowledge who and what I am. And the truth is, if we're all really honest, in the quieter moments in life, maybe when we're laying there in bed at night thinking about the day, most of us don't like who and what we are as much as we should. There's a lot of who and what we are that are like, eh, I'm not cool with that. Right? I mean, on the surface, we look like we're getting everything right. On the surface, it looks good, but behind the surface, we're like, no. Yesterday, I was at an event, and, and this is one of those things where on the surface, I looked like I had it all put together, and on the inside, I had to repent. Right? right? We were in a situation, there was somebody who was being incredibly rude, and what I wanted to do was say things loudly that I shouldn't say, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a human being, but I could because I was filming the event and I didn't want that on tape, right? So, man, I acted great till later when I talked to other people about it. But in my heart, I'm like, oh, man, I don't like who I was because what I wanted to say wasn't nice. What I wanted to do, right? See, humility is hard to develop because it means we have to admit those moments. We have to recognize those things. But it's really, really freeing. If we can develop humility, it's incredibly freeing. And here's what I mean by that. For most of us, if I think I can do it, I think I must do it. If I think I can handle it all, then I think I must handle it all. And most of us are walking around with stress. Most of us are walking around with guilt. Most of us are walking around with this weight on our shoulders that we're not even supposed to be carrying. Because we think we can do it all. Or we think we should be able to do it all. And therefore, we think we must do it all. And so you're carrying stuff you're not supposed to carry. You're holding on to stuff you're not supposed to hold on. You're, you're wrestling with stuff you're not even supposed to wrestle with. And when I can become humble enough to acknowledge, I do not have this figured out. When I can become humble enough to go, I don't know. I need help. It is remarkably freeing. Because in that moment, you don't have to carry the weight anymore. In that moment, you get to hand it off to someone else. It's kind of like, like cars, and here's what I mean. Uh, I drive old cars. I drive old cars for two reasons. I drive old cars because they're cheap, and I drive old cars because I can fix most of the things on old cars, okay? The problem with driving old cars because I can fix most of the things on old cars is because they're old cars, I have to fix a lot of the things on the old cars. It's that fun little circle that you deal with. But I know, thanks to YouTube and some good friends, I know enough to fix most of the things. I, you know, on that old truck, on the old van, I, most of the things I have, I can work on. There's some things that I don't attempt. New cars, not even close. It's all, I don't have a computer degree, so it's not even worth looking at. But, but old stuff, I can fix most of it. But here's what I've discovered. Because I can fix most of it, I feel like I have to do it all. So when I'm working on one of the vehicles and I come up against something and I just can't manage it, it's bigger than I'm able. I've, I've got myself off into the deep end, right? The YouTube video doesn't explain it nearly as well as I thought the YouTube video would explain it. And now here I am up to my elbows in grease and there's stuff all over the driveway. And now what do I do? I find myself with a few options. I can just give and sell the thing. Somebody come tow it away, but that's not really a good option. I can, I can button it up and take it to the shop and spend a lot of money to have somebody fix it. I don't want to do that either. Or I can pick up the phone because I've got a couple of really good friends who are really good with cars. And I can call one of them and go, hey, 
here's where I am, here's what I'm doing, can you help me? I hate making that phone call. I hate making that phone call because I don't want to bother them. I hate making that phone call because I don't want to admit that I've messed this thing up beyond my ability to fix it. I don't want to make that phone call because I don't want to depend on somebody else, right? But when I make that phone call, here's the really cool thing. It's freeing. Because when I go, I don't know how to fix this. Can you come help me? Nine times out of ten, they're like, be right over. And there's this sense of freedom in knowing, I don't know, but he does. There's this sense of relief in knowing this is going to get fixed. And maybe the best part of I get to spend an afternoon with one of my best friends. And I love doing this. Some of the best conversations I've ever had are, are over Greece and under cars, right? So I love those. It's really hard for me to make that phone call, but once I do, it always pays off. And life is like that. So many of us want to try to fix it on our own. So many of us want to try to tackle it on our own. The problem is we can't. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are humble because they're set free from carrying something they're not even supposed to carry. Plus, and here's the really big benefit, God loves that. He draws close to those people. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. God finds our humility irresistible, and others do too. God finds our humility irresistible, and others do too. When I am honestly humble, when I'm just real about who and what I am, God is drawn to that. And the people around me are drawn to that, right? Nobody likes a person who's not teachable. Nobody likes a person who, who's not coachable. Nobody likes a person who knows all the answers. Hey, I was going to tell you, I already know. You, you've met those people, right? None of us like that person, but most of us are that person, right? But when we're humble, God finds our humility irresistible, and other people do too. Let me explain. In the book of James, chapter 4, should be up here on the screen. Now, James was the brother of Jesus. This is Jesus' little brother. What does it take for you to figure out that your big brother is actually the Son of God? I, I mean, it's a pretty powerful moment. James is the little brother of Jesus, and he writes a letter to a bunch of, of churches, and here's what he says in the letter. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. When we are proud, God is opposed to that. More humble, he's drawn to that. This is such a big deal that Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, writes the same thing in another letter he writes. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we read these words. All of you must close yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. When I am self-sufficient, when I am independent, when I have it all figured out, these guys tell me I find myself in opposition to God. When I have it all figured out, I'm opposing God. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think that's a great idea. And the problem is, I think I've got it all figured out, and I'm making a mess all around me and going, no, I got this. And God wants to step in and help. I'm like, no, I got this. Right? How many of you have... have have toddlers or have raised a toddler? Anybody, anybody here who can relate to toddlers? So you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because that toddler's trying to feed themselves and the food is going everywhere but in their mouth. I didn't know you could get SpaghettiOs in some of the places I have found SpaghettiOs. It's amazing. I mean, there, I mean, there's mess everywhere. But every time you try to help, no, I do it. Right? 
They insist that they're going to tackle it, and they're, they're just a mess, and they're demanding you. So they are finding themselves in opposition to you. You want to step in and help, and the last thing they want is your help. They've got it figured out, and you're looking at them going, you have nothing figured out, right? So pick, take that image. That's how God looks at us when we go, I've got this all figured out. He's like, oh, listen, two-year-old, you don't have anything figured out. We're making a mess. We're insisting we have it all figured out, and God's like, I just want to help. But we find ourselves in opposition to God. We keep pushing Him back. No, I've got this. Jesus says, when I'm poor in spirit, when I can acknowledge my humility, when I can be humble enough to be real about who and what I am, Jesus says, then yours is the kingdom of God. Now, again, we've got to step back and go, what? I mean, first of all, what does that even mean, Right? And again, I'll give you the short answer. The kingdom of God is any place where God is and restoration is taking place. Anywhere God is and restoration is taking place. And Jesus says, when you're humble, you experience the kingdom of God. Now, it's really important to notice the verb tense here. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs will be the kingdom of God. He says, is. It's real. It's right here. It's right right now. See, one of the biggest reasons I don't get to be reconciled with the people around me when I've broken something is I'm too proud to do it, right? There's not restoration because I, I have to either, either own my part of it or forgive, and then a pride gets in the way when it comes to forgiving, right? So my lack of humility gets in the way of reconciliation with them, and my, my, my lack of humility gets in the way of my reconciliation with God. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. When I'm willing to be humble... When I acknowledge, I don't know, I don't even know what I don't know, God, I desperately need you in this moment, He is drawn to that. He begins to restore me, and He helps me be restored with you. And when I am being restored to God, and you and I are being restored to each other, the kingdom of God is present. That is what Jesus is saying here. So He says, blessed, happy, on the right road are the people who are willing to be humble because they get to experience the reality of the presence of God here and now. And I love what Peter says. Peter tacks it on at the end of his. He says, you know, submit to God. Or he says, uh, bless, God loves the humble. He's drawn toward them. And then he wraps it up. He says this at the end of it. He says, cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. And I don't think it's an accident that Peter tacks that on the end there. It's not just something he had to stick on there. Think about it. Most of my anxiety and probably most of your anxiety is caused by our own stupid pride. I've got this. I've got to figure it figured out. I know. How many of us have carried around a weight, and maybe it is even a mess we made, but we're carrying around a weight because we think we've got to figure it out. We've never asked for the help to figure it out. We've never asked someone else to help us. We've never asked God to help us. Or when we do ask God, it's very general. God, help me. Instead of being pretty specific, God, help me with this relationship. God, help me with these finances. God, help me not to be stupid in my money. God, help me not to be stupid in my relationships. We don't get specific. Peter says, cast all your cares on him. Be humble enough to let go of what you're trying to carry and hand it to him. Just give him your anxiety. He'll pick it up and he'll carry it for you. And you don't have to keep carrying the thing you're not supposed to be carrying in the first place. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are truly humble, who recognize they are in desperate need of God. 
Because when we are willing to be humble before God, we experience restoration between Him and us, and we get to experience restoration between each other. But it starts with this gut-wrenching, soul-crushing humility that we all hate so much. It's incredibly hard to develop. So what do we do with this? What's the takeaway of this from this morning? Where are we supposed to go with this, Pastor Steve? And I would ask you a couple of questions as we wrap up. Question number one, are you carrying around a load of stress that you don't need to carry around right now? Are you being stressed out about things, thinking, I've got to figure this out. I've got to solve this. I've got to sort this out. Are you trying to take care of everything for yourself and everyone else? Are you carrying that weight? Do you feel like everything depends on you? Would you like to be free from that? And if you can answer yes to any of those questions, then there are two things I would challenge you to do. The first one you can do today, you can do right now. The second one's going to take some time. The first one is this, repent. Now, I know that sounds like a big churchy word, like I should be holding a sign up here, repent, the end is in. The word repent is just a very simple concept. It simply means to stop what you're doing and do something different. If you're going south and you repent, you turn around and you head north. That's all repent means. So if you're trying to carry the load, if you're thinking you have to have it all, if you're not willing to call anyone and ask for help, you're not willing to call out to God and ask specifically for help, if you think it's yours, you've got to deal with this, repent, put it down, stop carrying the load, let go of it. And I, and I know the immediate pushback is, it's not that easy, Pastor, because if I let go of it, what will happen? Well, I don't know, but if you don't let go of it, I do know what will happen. It will crush you. So number one, repent. Number two, and this is the hard one, practice. And this is what takes so much time. This is why it's so hard. This is why it's tough to develop humility because we have to practice it. We have to start building into our lives some self-evaluation. We have to start using phrases like, I don't have this. I don't know. I need help. And when we start to build those into our conversations, if we start to honestly say, I don't know, can you help me? I, I don't know. Can you, can you help me figure this out? I can't do it. Can you help me do it? We start doing that. Humility starts to take root and grow in our hearts. And it's the most unnatural thing in the world. This is so counterintuitive. This is so opposite of our culture. Because our culture says, you figure it out. And, and it's only the weak who ask for help. I will stand here and tell you right now, I am horribly weak. I need lots of help in so many areas. But it's only when I'm willing to admit that, that the power of God begins to flow in my life. And here's the thing. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't, you don't buy the whole Jesus thing. Maybe you don't even believe in God. Here's what I know. If you start practicing these things, if you will repent, you'll quit thinking you have it all figured out. And if you will build humility into your life, here's what I know. God will still draw close to you because he loves to do that. And I also know this, life will get better, and you will get better at life. That's the cool thing about the stuff that Jesus teaches. You don't even have to follow him. You don't have to believe him, and it still starts to work in your life. That's one of the ways he reveals to us that he is who he says he is. So this week, here's my challenge. Today, repent. If you're carrying a load you're not supposed to carry, set it down. And then this week, start practicing humility. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know. I don't have it figured out. I need help. Don't be afraid to call someone and say, I need your help. I just need a listening ear, but I need 
more than me. I tell you what, we develop a community like that and people are drawn to that because lives start to change. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion. We do communion here at Gateway Church nearly every week. We have two communion tables at the front. We have one at the back. You don't have to be a member here at Gateway Church to take communion. We just ask that you be walking in a relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to pray. Then after I pray, you're free to get up and take communion. If you choose to do that this morning, in that moment, would you, would you stop and think about this? His broken body and his shed blood, that's what we celebrate at communion. Those are broken and shed because we don't have it figured out. We can't do this on our own. We're, we're far more desperate than we know. And he offers himself as the solution for that. If you choose to take communion this morning, would you take a minute and in that time, would you, would you acknowledge your weakness? Would you acknowledge where you need strength and help? And then would you thank him for what he offered? If you choose not to get up and take communion, that's fine. You just want to sit in the seat there. That's fine. But would you spend some of this time just reflecting, Lord, what do I need to lay down? What am I trying to carry that I shouldn't carry? And help me. This could be life-changing. Like I told you, Jesus opens this whole thing up with a gut punch. None of us want to admit we need help. And that's the place we have to start. Let me pray. After I pray, you're free to take communion. Father, we come to you. And we are so grateful. We are so thankful that in spite of our stubbornness, in spite of our, our feeling that we have to have it all figured out, in spite of the fact that we can be like a two-year-old shaking our fist at you and telling you we have it while we stand in our own mess, you look at us and you, you're not responding with anger. You look at us and you love us. And you reach out towards us and you offer what we don't even know we need. Jesus, I pray this morning that we would begin to sense your presence in our hearts and we would, or we would be poor in spirit. Help us to see who and what we really are. Lord, help, let humility begin to mark us. And as we become humble enough to admit to you what we don't need, may we also become humble enough to admit to others. And Jesus, as we do that, please honor your promise to bring the kingdom of God here and now. Help us, Jesus, to experience restoration and reconciliation with you. And let that spill over into our relationships that are broken and hurting. May we be poor in spirit. And as a result, may we experience the presence, the reality of your kingdom here and now. We love you. And I pray that you would just not let us escape this reality. We need you deeply. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening in this week, and please join us again for next week's sermon. And in the meantime, please feel free to check out our website at mygatewaychurch.tv, where you can find our email addresses and links to our social media pages. In addition, you can also download our mobile app from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. Just search for Gateway Church-Mo. Thanks again, and God bless. God bless.